Don't you love getting packages? Earlier this week, my son Cade was expecting new football cleats, and we're just hoping that football starts this year. And in that all day, he was just sitting by the door anticipating the arrival of these cleats, and they never came. But did you see also this week about the family that ordered a package and the Amazon delivery lady, they had some special instructions for her when she delivered the package. I didn't even know this was possible, but take a look at what happened. Isn't that amazing? I mean, she didn't have to do that. She could have just chosen to drop the package on the porch like usual, maybe knock on the door, say it's delivered and walk away. But instead, she chooses to love and serve this family in such a fun way, bringing joy into their life. And that's what the world is longing for right now, isn't it? Joy, hope, laughter, encouragement, comfort, peace, to be served. And that's what I love is we're going to continue in our series today, Thrive, where we look at what Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, even as he was in prison. What does it look like to thrive? And today, uniquely, we're going to look at the foundational quality that Paul had that allowed him to thrive. It's what would allow us to thrive in the world. And not only that, it's what allows us to bring hope and allow the world to thrive around us. So I want to invite you guys, if you would, grab your Bibles. Maybe it's on your technology. Maybe you're ready. Maybe you need to just push pause and go and grab it. That's totally okay. But either way, turn to Philippians chapter 2. And we are going to look at the first verses in Philippians chapter 2. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. He writes, therefore, and anytime we see the word therefore, we have to ask, what is it? Therefore, which calls us to look back. And we remember that just a couple weeks ago, Matthew was teaching us out of chapter one. And he said, God will use this for good. What is this? This is whatever circumstances, whatever conditions, whatever exists around you, God can use all of that and make it good. This is from Paul written in prison. And we see how God used it for good. And we always see that God delivers on his promises. He may not always deliver from our problems, but he always delivers on our promises. And so that's what he's saying. Therefore, because of that in Christ, and then he continues, if, if these things exist in Christ, and it's everything that we long for, it's everything the world wants, encouragement, hope, comfort, peace, unity, a sense of sharing and tenderness and compassion, joy and oneness. And it's not just if, it's almost rhetorical. It's like, of course these things exist in Christ with you. Everything we want is found in Christ. 
Everything the world is desperate for is found in Christ. And he's basically saying where Jesus is, these things reside. They are markers of his presence. And they're supposed to be markers not just in our own life. When we receive Christ, when we choose to follow him and trust our life into his hands, these things should well up within us. People should see and feel a sense of encouragement and hope and joy and tenderness and compassion. And not only that, this is what he wants to introduce into the world. But how is Jesus going to show up in the world today? Through you and through me. These qualities aren't just in us, they work through us, into the world around us. It's how he shows up. And it's interesting because this if is obviously rhetorical. He's saying these things must be true in Christ, but it's interesting because the New Living Translation, it actually writes them as questions. Look at the questions that it asks us. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in his spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? And while these things must be true, they are true where Jesus is present, I like that there's a question mark because it causes us to pause and say, is this true? Are we experiencing encouragement? Are we experiencing tenderness and compassion with God and with one another? Are we experiencing hope and unity? And not only that, are, are we extending these things to the world around us? Are our hearts tender and compassionate? You see, what we want, what the world wants, is found in Christ. And that's exactly where Paul begins. And that's a very tall order. As you look at that list, not just for our own life, but bringing that list into the world. And that's one of the reasons I love our mission statement. Because we are becoming a community of authentic Christ followers that's compelled to change the world. I love that word, becoming because it represents growth. It represents that there's room to become and to change. And so therefore, we need something in our life to become everything that God's called us to be. And what we need is exactly what Paul unpacks in the next couple verses. Verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. What do we need? What do we need to thrive in the world? And what do we need to help the world thrive around us? In a word, humility. Humility. That's the foundational quality of thriving with Christ and in the world. That's the foundational quality of allowing Christ to, to move through us to bring healing and redemption into the world around us. And then he even shows us what humility is. Humility says, I value you above me, and your interests are my interests. The first one, I value you. He says, value others above yourselves. In the New Living Translation, it says, think of others as better than you. The King James, the old King James, which my parents grew up reading in my church, and it says, esteem others as better than yourself. And what's interesting is it's not about skill. It's not about abilities. It's not about qualities or traits. It's not about education or resources. That is the way that the world views people. That's the way that the world would value people or the world would see people as worthy or unworthy. It's not about those things. It's not about what people can or can't do. 
The point is what you count people to be, that they have inherent worth and value because they are created in the image of God. So I can't sing. I can't sing like David Galton and Aaron Kim and Josh and Matt Roden and all of our amazing worship leaders. And if they were going to value people based on whether they could sing or not, I wouldn't have any value. I've got friends who are unbelievable athletes, played division one level, some that even went pro. And if they valued people on their ability to perform athletically, I would not be valuable or worthy. I've got friends who have built unbelievable companies that employ hundreds, even thousands of people that do massive amounts of great things, not just for the economy, but even in the way they're generous with their resources. I don't have that. And so if we were viewing worth based on what you have or could produce, I wouldn't be valuable at all. They would look at me and say, Kyle is worth nothing. The focus is not on how I or how others sing or how they compete or what kind of resources or skills or abilities they have. The focus is will you count them as valuable and worthy because they're created in the image of God. Not are they worthy or can they become worthy or do they have to earn something to be worthy, but will I, will we ascribe value to people just because they're created in the image of God? We see people with inherent worth and value. We call them to something because of that. And for me, I remember part of this becoming journey. When I was younger, I used to look at homeless people on corners with cardboard signs and cutouts. And the first thing that I'd start doing in, in my mind is deciding in my skepticism if that story was good enough. Is it even true? And then I'd begin to wonder, well, maybe I should interview them and talk to them about how many jobs have you applied for and what have you done to help, you know, achieve success? And should I give you a meal or can't you help yourself get a meal? And what if I helped you? And basically, I was looking to qualify them before they were valuable. And I wasn't living out Philippians chapter 2. And basically, now I get to see people and I get to call them to something. I get to acknowledge that they're human beings created in God's image. I get to joyfully encourage them and bless them in that. That's what God calls every single one of us to do, to be a part of that redemptive story that he called us into. It's not just about value. It's also about, I just didn't want the inconvenience. I didn't want to stop. And that's what ties into the next piece of what humility looks like lived out in our lives. Paul says, don't just look out for your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In other words, your interests become my interests. Your concerns are my concerns. Your fears, your worries are my fears and my worries. And it's interesting because the word interests here is actually a filler. In the original, it's open-ended. So it could read, it could look like not just looking to your own blank, fill it in, whatever it is. Not just looking to your own family, not just looking to your own relationships, not just looking to your own education, not just looking to your own reputation or resources or opportunity or your own success. Don't just think about that. Don't just have desires about that. Don't just strategize for that. Don't just do everything to work towards that for you, but work towards that for others. The things that you lie awake at night about, thinking about, dreaming about, planning about, the things that wake you up at four o'clock in the morning, those interests, we are to have the same interest and level of care 
for the people around us. That's the invitation. That's the opportunity. And here what we see, Paul is simply echoing the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, where he summarizes the whole Bible and he says, love God first and foremost, but then he says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And that's what Paul is saying. The interest of others are to become the interests for everyone. Your interests are my interests. And this can happen in big ways to people that seem distant from us, whether it's socioeconomically or even around the globe, but it also can happen with the people closest to us, making their interests our interests. This happened to me just this past week. We had been on vacation for a while as a family. We got to go to my friend's house up in the mountains. And after that, we had some time and we said, let's take a road trip. My boys are, they're one's a year away and one's two years away from college. We had a chance to go see some schools that we would never get to see. So we drove almost 2,000 miles in four days, saw eight different schools. So it was beautiful and it was exhausting all at the same time, as you could imagine. So we get home from that trip late Saturday night and it was beautiful and wonderful. And my youngest daughter, Cozy, comes to me and goes, Dad, I know exactly what we should do for Father's Day. And I'm like, what? She's like, you can teach me how to surf. And all I wanted to do was sleep. I just wanted to unpack the car, I wanted to rest. I wanted to just lay down and be quiet after the week we had had. But her interests needed to become my interests. So I woke up early. We loaded up the car, packed everything in, drove to the beach. And of course, the beach on Father's Day, I'm sure no one wants to go there. Of course, everybody wanted to go there. And so then it's finding parking and hauling everything out across the sand. And then it's teaching my daughter how to surf. And I hate cold water. So we find our way. But at the end of the day, we get home and I'm more tired and I'm more exhausted than I could have imagined. And at the same time, I was more joyful and more content. And I had more peace. And there was more unity in my family and love because I took on the interests of others instead of demanding that my interests be met, even on Father's Day. That's the invitation of humility, to say, I value you above me and your interests are my interests. That's the invitation Paul's giving us. So how do we get there? What does it look like to take that step? He continues, verse five, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I love this, our model, our example, the power for us to live in that foundational humility is Jesus himself. And it says he, he didn't consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. He didn't use his, his own wisdom and power. Think about it, he is God, he's with God, and he doesn't use that wisdom or the power or the privilege or the equality or the knowledge or the influence or all of those things, even the relationship for himself. Instead, he steps down and he chooses to put us above him. He chooses to make our interests his interests. Christ loved us, he died for us, he forgave us, he justified us, he gave us eternal life, he made us heirs with him when he owed us nothing. He gave us value and worth because of his life. 
He treated us as valuable. He didn't think about his interests. He thought about ours. And in that, he introduces what? Encouragement, comfort, truth, peace, grace, kindness, unity, forgiveness. And it's not just for us. It's to work through us into the world around us. You see, this is where humility comes from. This is our model, our example, and it's the power of humility at work in our lives when we trust Jesus. It says, I value you and your interests are my interests. One of the ways I got to see this years ago, my youngest son, Tate, he, uh, he's an active kid. He always is active. He wants to experience everything about life. And in that activity, he was young and he had a friend who was autistic. And his autistic friend couldn't participate in all the same ways that all the other kids would. He'd get overwhelmed by the activity or by the energy. And so when they were at the park playing one day, he looked over, Tate did, and he saw his friend just sitting at a table. And his friend invited him to play chess. And if you know anything about chess, it is not the most active game. And so Tate, at about five years old, walks over and sits down at this park table with his friend. And I watched him sit there. He doesn't even know how to play chess. And so his friend is moving all the pieces and trying to show him how to play. And I watched Tate, my active son, sit there for almost an hour with his friend. He made his interests his own. That's the invitation, to go sit with someone, to go listen, to go ask questions, to just be with them to use all of who you are and everything God's given you for the sake of others and not yourself. To say, I value you above me. I'm going to place your interests above my interests. And we see this all around us if we look for it. And it's a great invitation that God calls us to every day. I have friends, some of them, they're just amazing relational connectors. And when I call them, some of the most defining interactions I have is because I'll call them and, and tell them something I'm struggling with or wrestling with or I have a problem to solve or a leadership issue or a pastoral question. And you know what they'll say? They'll say, hey, have you talked to so-and-so? And they'll give me their name and their phone number. And they'll just connect me with people that help unlock things in my life because they're sharing their relationships with me. I've got friends who not only share their relationships, they share their skills. We've watched people in this season come alongside our church as we've moved into the community around the corner in brand new ways. And they use their skills and relationships with the county or with homeless shelters or with the foster care system or even with, with grocery stores and relationships to, to bring in resources and then distribute them because they're using their gifts, their skills, their abilities to help make that happen. There's friends that we have that you know, some of you are them, that share their resources in remarkable ways. They see a need and they help meet it. They find creative ways to allow their business to step into even around the world to participate in helping the interests of others succeed. That's the invitation of humility. Do you want to thrive? Do you want the world to thrive? The way we get there is humility saying, I value you above me and your interests are my interests, to choose humility. So, who do you need to value? 
Who is hard for you to value in life? Who is it that God's calling you to see uniquely as inherently valuable, created in his image, and bring encouragement and love and kindness and respect and hope into their life? And who do you need to show an interest in? Who do you need to take on the interests of so that they see themselves as valuable? And maybe the question is, take out a piece of paper and a pen and think through, don't just look out for your own blank. Fill in that blank. What is it that wakes you up at night? What is it that wakes you up at four in the morning? Where's your time and your attention and your resources going? And that's okay, that's a good thing, but maybe there's an invitation here in humility to take all of that and show an interest in others as well. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you do not make us earn our way back into love or grace or favor with you. Thank you that there is nothing we can do that brings value or worth, but God, you see us as valuable and worthy because we're created in your image. Jesus, thank you for turning loose of all of your privilege and power. Thank you for turning loose of everything, God, that you had in heaven and to step down and to take on humanity, to understand us, to be like us, to understand temptation and fear and emotion and betrayal and and all of God, what we go through, we know and can rest in knowing that you understand us. Thank you for demonstrating humility. Thank you for bringing the power of humility to us. Thank you for working in that humility to bring humility to the world around us. Help us to see people as valuable. Help us to look out for the interests of others. God, use us as your kids to transform this world through your power. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.